strong leadership in seasons of transition, plus two brand new resources to help your church board thrive. It's all in today's podcast as we sit down with Doug Souter, lead pastor of Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Informing, encouraging, and supporting your church. You're listening to the Excellence in Church Administration podcast from ECFA. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Excellence in Church Administration podcast. This is your host, Michael Martin from ECFA. And as always, we are so thankful that you've tuned in. Well, this is going to really be a power-packed time today, as later we're going to introduce two brand new resources from ECFA to help your boards thrive. But first, we get to welcome a very special guest to the podcast, Pastor Doug Souter. Pastor Doug knows a thing or two about leadership as pastor of Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale in Florida, one of the largest churches in the country, and we are proud to say one of our great ECFA member churches. And there's a lot more that I could add in terms of his introduction, but I actually just want to give Pastor Doug the opportunity to tell you a little bit more about his story and leadership right away as we get started here. So Doug, welcome to the podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Thanks, Michael. It is it's an honor to be here and just to share a little of, of our story. Um, I am a, a part of Calvary Chapel down here in Fort Lauderdale, and our story is that uh, 33 years ago, uh, there was a man who took a step of faith from Las Vegas, Nevada, got into U-Haul and came to Fort Lauderdale before there was mega churches and any mega churches down here. And he started a church in a funeral home with a friend, and it grew into a warehouse and grew into another building. And, you know, 28 years later, it was one of the largest churches in the country. And my wife and I had the pleasure of serving on the staff as a family pastor and leading a foster care ministry. And But 28 years in, um, this pastor had a moral failure. And now our church is reeling. And sadly, this is not an uncommon story. Uh, but the board of directors of the church um, asked my wife and I uh, to pray about stepping into that lead role. And so that began this journey over the last five years of of being uh, that second leader uh, of a church that has really had a huge impact in our community and just going through the process of rebuilding trust, uh, both with our staff and, and in our city. And uh, I, I wouldn't want to do it again, but I got to say that... Uh, you know, God's grace and watching Jesus fight for her bride um, has been an amazing thing just to watch uh, the healing um, process that goes on. that you, you almost never hear about in the news about people saying, this is my church. This is where I got saved and I'm going to fight for her and I'm going to love her and I'm going to go all in to help people heal here. And to, to be a part of that over the last five years has been one of the greatest honors of my life. That's so awesome. And we're so grateful for your leadership in that way. And thank you for your willingness just to kind of be with us and and, and talk more about that. Um, unfortunately, it is one of those things where it seems like we're seeing some more of these scenarios um, that are out there and others that are having to kind of step into uh, unexpected maybe leadership transition. So I would love for you just to tell us a little bit about um, your experience. I mean, now you mentioned you're kind of five years into this as lead pastor. You know, what has it been? You mentioned, you know, steadying the ship, kind of rebuilding trust. What's what's that been like for you? What recommend, recommendations even do you have, you know, for other pastors that are finding themselves or, or leaders in kind of a similar scenario? Yeah, I think for, for us, I mean, one of the, the guiding verses that I've 
always come back to is Colossians 1.17, you know, where Paul says that, you know, Jesus is before all things and, and in him all things hold together. And so just the idea that uh, Jesus was before all these things happened and he's going to hold this church together. And so we're going to trust him in the process. And, and we're, we're, we're not experts in church recovery, but we're, we're more like witnesses hmm. of, of what happened. And so we just, we just give a testimony of here's what, here's what God did. Um, I think in that, in those early days, you, you, you deal with the, the first, the shock and, you know, you go through the stages of grief and, you know, we found out about this moral failing just like three days before the congregation. So we didn't have a lot of time to process as leaders. Um, but you, you watch people grieve and you watch people ask all sorts of questions. And, you know, we, we had a phrase during that, that time as a leadership team, you know, sheep bite, Mm. (laughs) uh, because people were so wounded, they would just attack. Um, and many people attacked and came back and apologized later. We watched many people, leave the church and come back six, nine months later after they'd wrestled with God and tried to come to a place where they could rebuild trust. But uh, we, we had to focus on people that we would say were, were closest to the blast. So when there's a moral failure, there's the family and the friends, and then there's the staff, and then there's the congregation. And believe it or not, the congregation actually uh, can heal the fastest because they're not as close to the personal relationships and the broken trust as the staff or the family members or the friends. And so for us, the, the, the nights of worship and prayer brought, brought great healing as, as God just reminded people that the church is about Jesus and not a person. But for our staff, it was a longer journey. And one of the things that we did on the journey was just to ask our staff, what, what kind of church staff do you want? Hmm. What, what, are the, what, what type of culture do you want? And, you know, for me, I, I wanted to just step in and say, here's the, here's the new culture of the staff, because there were some areas of toxicity and just areas that... You know, when you're a church that's always growing and everything works, you don't often ask the culture questions. Um, and so we just, I resisted the urge to just say, here are the new staff values. And we went on a year journey and, and had focus groups and meetings with all, all of our staff. I mean, between ourselves, our church staff and our Christian school, we're talking about 700 different staff people. Wow. And we spent a year and a half saying, what type of culture do you want? And, you know, the, we came, we emerged with seven core values and, you know, the first two were humility and soul keeping. You know, we, we want our, our leaders to be humble and we want soul keeping to be a value here because we knew we could do things excellently. We could launch new churches. We can do incredible outreach and programs. But the question was, you know, at what cost? And so one of the mantras that we would, that I would, I introduced early on is, you know, who we are is more important than what we do. Mm. And we say it here all the time, who we are, is more important than what we do. And that was Jesus called to his disciples. You know, people will know you by your love for each other. So, so defining those core values was a big um, game changer for us. And, and the process itself, I'm really glad I didn't rush. Wow. That is so good. I think we could spend, we could spend some days. <laughs> I mean, you guys have, sure. we could spend days like unpacking all of that. Um, but maybe tell us a little bit too about, you know, after you're kind of coming out of that process, like what kind of shift or what kind of impact has that made as you guys have really placed an importance on uh, having that healthy staff culture? What's, what's kind of the turnaround? What does it look like now? Yeah. So we had, we had a a way to sort of reframe if people went back to the old culture um, you know, we, we would basically have a phrase, Hey, you know what we used to do it that way, but we don't do it that way anymore. Uh, and we actually gave people that language. Like if you've experienced old culture, you need to address it in the moment 
and use a phrase that sounds something like this. Hey, maybe we did it that way for 10 years or 15 years, but we don't do it that way anymore because remember, we've chosen a new culture and all of us are culture keepers, not just the executive team or the pastors. So we invited our entire staff to speak into um, any violations of the culture and also really celebrations of the culture. So at all of our staff meetings, we celebrate people who embody the, the, the values of the culture. And those, those we call them well-done cards, are written by staff who mm. notice other staff embodying the culture. So at every staff meeting, we have a time where people um, read the cards and people are given uh, uh, gifts, items, uh, days, days off, vacation days. And we celebrate through real, real rewards um, people who embody the culture. That's good. Well, hey, and maybe talk to that other leader who's out there, the other pastor who's out there uh, that are saying, we really need to address culture within our organization. What would you say are just maybe one or two challenges uh, as you've kind of walked through the process? What are some things that they need to be mindful of? Of you know, These might be some potential hurdles or challenges that we'd have to walk through. Yeah, I think sometimes people can just be uh, averse to change just because it's change. Um, and so, well, we didn't do that for the first 28 years of our church history and, and we're doing, we did fine without that. Um, mm. and it's just kind of like a, a blind spot to, uh, the fact that we might've done great things, but we burned a lot of people in the process. We burned them out because, you know, mega church or just church has a gravitational pull of its own and they can grind people up. You know, you come in with a sincere, like, I want to serve Jesus and, and you keep saying yes, yes, yes. And people keep giving you more to do. And so we try to push back hard against that and just say, we, we want this to be the best place you ever work. And, and for some people that felt soft, it felt weak, like, no, you, you burn out for Jesus and that's how we've always done it. And so there, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a pushback from some people who um, just were used to, you know, working 60, 70 hours a week. And, and it was about excellence, not about how people felt. And mm. um, so as we engaged like the best Christian workplace Institute and did, you know, staff surveys and got staff feedback, some people, some people felt like, you know, you don't ask the people how they're doing. That's the leader's job. And so we had to go through that, a little bit of that uh, resistance because, you know, uh, those surveys show you which departments there's a lack of staff, staff health in. And, and that's, you know, that creates some moments for some leaders like, wow, I have a sick department and I need, I need to take responsibility for that. Good. No, those are some great insights. I think that'll be really helpful as others kind of walk through maybe a similar journey. Um, that's some good wisdom, but maybe shifting gears a little bit too, Doug, I know like as you and I have talked recently and in conversations, you know, we've, we've talked about the critical and often overlooked, honestly, um, role that the church board and governance has to play in really all of these areas of health and growth. So maybe as lead pastor, can you speak a little bit into the role of the board and what, what it's been like to create kind of a place of health there, maybe a healthy dynamic between you and the elders as, uh, or the board as you guys have kind of walked through some of these transitions as well. Sure. And when I talk to other churches, um, I probably get this call once every month or two. Um, if that's the most common question I get asked. So, so tell me about your board. How do you interact with your board? How did you reframe this whole culture thing? How did you go through the building the trust? And it, honestly, um, speaking with leaders like Gordon McDonald, I asked him, like, what's the biggest issue you face when you work with leaders around the, the world? And he gave me that one word answer, governance. Um, so we, we've been learning, like, you know, leadership as a science has been around for 100 years, but, but governance has only been around for 15 years as a science. And we're still learning, how do we do this? 
So our, our board would have described it this way. A board member um, at our last board meeting said, you know, we were once a, a lax board. We were lax in our responsibility. We just sort of yes uh, a lot of things. And then we, we became a, a micromanaging board because we had to because of the trauma. And now we're a managing board, but we hope one day to be a governing board. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that's a great description of, <laughs> of actually 30 years of governance at, here, here at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And it was from a board member who had been on a board almost that entire time. And so we, we've actually gone through this process of going, okay, you know, when there's a church failure, the board sort of steps in, declares martial law, <laughs> you know, picks the next leader and then slowly steps away. Um, but you're dealing with decline in revenues and staffing issues and attendance issues. And it's hard for the board to pull out completely until it stabilizes. But, you know, we're at the point now where with, with a stable, you know, attendance and giving, uh, the board's able to say, now, what does governance look like? And one of the, the coolest transitions that we just actually experienced at our last board meeting was um, we had some, uh, a wise kind of counselor came in and helped us. And he said, you know, the community that you hope for in the church should be modeled in the boardroom. Wow, and, that's good. And we just and we just we just like meditated on that idea. Wait, <laughs> wait a second, say that again. So so the 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 culture that you hope is embodied in the small group dynamic and and, and the culture of your church should be modeled in the boardroom. So so let's think about you know what, what we want people to do. You know, connect to God, connect deeply to others, and connect to outreach. Be vulnerable, transparent. Is that really happening in our boardroom? And we had to, you know, say we, we talk about a lot of things that are important, but we're not necessarily sharing life and sharing God stories and, and praying for each other. And and so at our last board meeting, I mean, we had a moment where all during lunch, people stood up and shared their experience with Jesus um, at their campus because we have multi campuses. And I mean, there were tears um, through most of the of the just stories. Um, a board member shared some incredibly um, vulnerable moments and some beautiful moments. And when it was happening, I was like, that, that's, that's what every board should experience. You know, we are brothers in Christ and we are doing some of the most important work that we could ever do. And, and we need to have moments where our, our hearts connect, not just where we approve budgets and look at insurance policies and, you know, uh, property. Amen. No, that's good. I think uh, that's that's we could just end the podcast right there and just say, hey, everybody, <laughs> take some time to think about that. But any right. other uh, governance takeaways that you might have, Doug, um, just as you kind of reflect back on your time in terms of accountability, the the importance of the uh, you know the board and in, in the relationship that you have. Yeah, I think there were two things. One that ECF asked us with, uh, which is, you know, board member independence. So we looked at all of our board members and said, you know, what are the conflicts of interest every board member has? You know, staff that their families that might work on staff or organizations they were connected with, or maybe they were compensated in some way by the church. And just saying we need to have more independent board members than dependent board members. And and the ECF guidelines helped us to go through, we went through a like a three-hour conference call. Um, actually some people were in the room, some people were remote and just went through every single board member. What are the potential conflicts so that from the outside and from the inside, we know everything's above board. And we actually, you know, tweak some things to make sure that we had uh, the, the right balance so that anyone who looks on the outside would not say, oh, that's a good old boy system where everyone, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. And so that was, that was a super helpful process where we just said, we want outsiders to look at us and, and, and tell us what they see. Mm. And, and then there was another aspect of just, 
you know, as a, as a pastor goes through a moral failure and then the board has to look in the mirror and say, what did we miss? You know, a board can make the right decisions about property acquisition and about insurance and about budgets and about vision and still miss the sole care of the pastor and their wife. And so um, our board chairman um, basically has a quarterly meeting with my wife and I, and he just asks her all the questions because my wife's, you know, she's a truth teller. So <laughs> They know uh, that's I, where know. they're going to get it. <laughs> exactly. So, so they never ask me questions because I always think everything's great. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, when, when that conversation happens and my wife can be completely transparent, then, then you, know, you know what you have. And so it's, it's one thing to say, to, it's one thing for me to say to my board, I have accountability and marriage is going great. Um, it's another thing for that board member to be able to ask my wife any question he wants and see her honest feedback. And so in that process, um, we've had really good questions that have been asked of us. We've had some, some coaches and counselors that have come, you know, next to us and, and helped us a lot with our schedule, a lot with the loss of privacy of going from, of course, sort of being a regular person to being, you know, in the spotlight a lot. And sure. just that loss of privacy affects your family. It affects your marriage and just being able to process that with someone. And the board has stepped into that role and, and led, led in soul care for, for me and my wife. And it's been amazing. That is so good. And you mentioned that happens quarterly and that's done by, did you say your board chair? Or there's, there's one board member that sort of assigned that responsibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. No, that's good. Those are some great takeaways. And actually, uh, that that's written uh, about in one of the latest resources here by ECFA, Lessons from the Church Boardroom, all about the importance, really, of pastor soul care. So thanks for being able to share, really, from your perspective and uh, just raise awareness about that issue. I think that's so important. And maybe, too, as we wind down, maybe shifting gears again to maybe back more a little bit to kind of a ministry standpoint, one of the things I was really excited to hear about from you is what you guys are involved in, uh, the Vision 2023 project that's down in South Florida right now, as seeing a lot of churches come together, imagine that, that are coming together um, in in really outreach and spreading the gospel. Maybe take just a minute and tell us a little bit about that, and if there are folks that are listening, they're in your area, you know, how can they be involved in that? Sure. You know, sometimes when we think about church trauma, we, we just like hope it goes away and we hope it just gets better. And but sometimes uh, some of those beautiful things that God wants to do, uh, they ha- it happens you know as a result of trauma. And so as a result of, you know, our church, kind of the largest in our community going through a trauma, a lot of churches came around and prayed for us and supported us. And I think out of that weakness and out of that brokenness, uh, God began to do something to new leaders where we, we began, you know, leader of the largest Baptist church and Presbyterian church and assemblies of God church and non-denominational church getting together and just praying, God, what do you want to do in our city? And we began to see that same heart, um, from the County above us and the County below us. So, uh, between Palm beach, Broward and Dade County, there's six to 7 million people. And, uh, we started to find this common bond between some of the pastors of the, of the largest, most influential churches in that region and, and along with the church planning networks. And so we began getting together and praying about a regional vision. And, you know, right now the five-year vision is called Vision 2023 and the initiative is called Church United. And we're we're looking at 30 years, 40 years of, of, of ministry of gospel saturation and uh, changing some of the demographic, you know, information, you know, right now, Barna estimates in our area, uh, 78% of people claim a relationship with Jesus, but only 3% actually practice based on seven questions that are asked in surveys. Mm. And 
So our, our question is, how do we how do we double that from three to six percent? And how do we get to a tipping point, uh, much like Tim Keller did with the Redeemer Network in New York? Uh, how, do, how do we do that? And so we've, we've adopted some common strategies and common language. Uh, we celebrate together on a quarterly basis and, and, and once a year get all the churches together for a night of celebration wow. um, around a month long outreach that we all do under one banner called Church United and love South Florida. And uh, it's it's growing. I mean, the, the network of connections, um, we're praying about common teaching series, and, and we've learned a lot from other city movements. But I mean, when people hear about what's happening in South Florida, I always say behind the scenes, it's actually better than out front, which is, which is rare in church world. Uh, because behind the scenes, we're eating dinner at each other's houses, our wives are becoming close friends, we're supporting uh, church plants in our own neighborhoods, financially and otherwise. Wow. And we're trying to create this uh, very open, catalytic, healthy church uh, movement down here in South Florida. And, uh, and some amazing people are moving here and being a part of that. So we're excited about it. it. It has a spiritual component. It has a cultural and social component. So issues around elder care and foster care, um, our school system. Uh, how do how do we reach these? Uh, those are the kind of questions we're pursuing, and it's it's a common vision we're all sort of going all in on. So it's an exciting time. Well, kudos to you guys. I think that's just a beautiful story of how even um, in the midst of challenge, how God can use uh, you know what could be kind of a negative situation and turn it around to where we're seeing the gospel proclaimed churches working together. So we just applaud you guys. You have your, you have a challenge set out before you, so we'll be praying for you. Um, so that's, you. that's, that's awesome. And maybe for folks that want to connect with you about that, or maybe just kind of keep up with you in general, um, how do, how do they do that, Doug? Well, they can go on our website, calvaryftl.org. And also if they want to keep, uh, you know, up to date on the, on the city movement, it's called churchunited.city. And on that, on that Church United website, you'll see what's happening in the tri-county and the initiatives that are happening. And, and uh, hopefully it's helpful to you and your city where you're listening. Good. Well, that's awesome. Well, I do encourage all of our listeners to do that. And again, Pastor Doug, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate uh, your ministry, all that you guys have going on down there and the insights that you've shared with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Super. Well, hey, as we close out our time today, I do want to make good on my promise to tell you about two brand new resources that are free from ECFA to help your board thrive. The first is an invitation to participate in our new church governance survey that's led by our vice president of research, Dr. Warren Bird. Your feedback on the survey is confidential and it will greatly help us to help you and other churches as we learn what makes church boards thrive and why. All you need to do is just email podcast at ecfa.org to learn more. And then finally, I'm also excited to share about another groundbreaking resource with you from ECFA called the Church Board Score. So the score is a free online self-assessment tool to help your board evaluate its performance in six key areas, not unlike what we just talked about uh, with Pastor Doug. So you're going to get instant feedback and links to more resources to help your board grow into all that God has called you to be. Just visit ecfa.church slash score, S-C-O-R-E score to get started today. So we hope this time has been helpful to you as you grow in your leadership and stewardship at your church. We also always appreciate your questions and your ideas for future episodes of the podcast at podcast at ecfa.org. Well, until next time, God bless you. And we look forward to being with you again soon for another Excellence in Church Administration podcast.